0: Welcome back to week three of creationism. If you've been with us this far, then uh, you might have what it takes to get through the rest of it, because it just gets nerdier as we go. The Bible says that God created the world in six days, and then He rested. and uh, We've been talking about that as uh, as six literal days. I think that the Bible means what it says. Evolution uh, has a completely different uh, perspective. The evolution says that everything came in uh, came about. In billions of years and is still not complete, is still evolving. Uh, and I think that that's a, an, an important observation to make because uh, the question is, if uh, if you believe in evolution, do you believe that things are still evolving? If so, then God's act of creating is not done. New species are coming about, even though God had said he has done creating, he has rested and, uh, and that's it. He's not creating new species anymore. Time is the hero of all evolutionary theory. If something can't happen, uh, what does an evolutionist do? What does a naturalist do? You just add a few billion more years and say it eventually will work. Uh, evolution pretends that the irrational option, no matter how unlikely, no matter how statistically impossible, the irrational option becomes the rational conclusion. And, it, uh, and the evolutionary theory will, will try to convince you of that. But the Earth is uh, is not billions of years old. Uh, Genesis says that it's, it's really approximately 6,000 years old. Um, The world existed five days prior to mankind. That's when God started everything on day one, and then he created mankind on day six. Uh, You know, Adam was created first, and then somewhere later on day six, we don't know how much later, but somewhere later on day six, he created the woman. And then at the end of that day, he has created male and female in his image, and he doesn't uh, he doesn't create anything else after that. Uh, that's how the Bible tells it, and I think that's how we should receive it. Faith does not start at the New Testament when you get to the Jesus part. Faith starts at Genesis one, and the New Testament agrees with Genesis one. Uh, the New Testament writers, the New Testament characters, affirm that Genesis one is a historical account. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a metaphor. The Bible treats it, and the characters in the Bible treat it as a historical account. I'll prove this to you. Um, in uh, Matthew chapter nineteen, verse four, Ma- uh, Matthew chapter nineteen, verse four, Jesus believed Genesis one was a historical account. He says, "Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female?" So, if you notice, he's he's in Matthew chapter nine quoting or uh, referring back to Genesis one and two that uh, he cr- that God created male and female. He's referring back to that original account as like it's written, haven't you read it? Don't you believe it? The apostle Paul believed Genesis 1 was a historical account. He uh, he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. he said for God who said let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Right? He he points out that God said let light shine out of the darkness, right? That God spoke light into being. And he relies on the Genesis account, the Genesis 1 uh, account of, of creation, to say, look, God did that. God spoke light out of darkness. The Apostle Peter believed Genesis 1 was a historical account. He writes in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 5, For scoffers deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And he's referring again back to Genesis 1, that uh, the earth was there. It was formless and void. There were waters that kind of covered it, and the Spirit of God was hovering over that. And then God separated water from water, uh, and uh, he created an expanse and stuff. And so there it was. The form- the earth was formed out of water. The heavens existed long ago, uh, and it was all created by the Word of God. He spoke, and it happened. Now, that's Jesus and Paul And Peter, I don't know if you can find anyone in the Bible that outranks any of them. Are you going to go tell them that they got it wrong because you have a theory that the earth accidentally formed itself by chance? The order of creation itself rules out the possibility of of interpreting anything other than literal solar days, 24-hour periods of time. Right the, the way that Genesis writes it is the way that it is, and if you try to take days and say days just means long ages epochs or epochs of uh, of time uh, if, if you try to try to do that uh, you you kind of put yourself in a very awkward position because that itself is impossible. for example, plant life was created on day three, and that includes flowering plants and seed producing trees right you have flowering plants. And seed producing trees now, how do they, uh, how do they multiply and stuff? How do these trees uh, survive? Well, you would need birds and you would need insects, but birds don't come about until day five in verse twenty one of, of Genesis one, and um, insects or, or, or creeping things they don't come about until verse twenty four on uh, they're not created until day six. So if plants come about in verse twelve. On day three, and you're saying they went for ages and ages, for millions of years, without any birds and without any uh, insects to help uh, uh, pollinate and all that kind of stuff. Then how did you get through millions of years before birds appeared and then before insects appeared? How would that happen? There's a necessary symbiosis between most flowering plants and the insect kingdom. So you really can't, uh, you, you can't have one without the other. The, the, the life forms are dependent on one another. So all of these uh, different interdependent life forms could not have evolved, uh, well, they couldn't have evolved together simultaneously. That wouldn't have made sense. The, the chances of that are even more astronomically ridiculous, right? That they would, uh, that they would, they just happen to evolve simultaneously into exactly what each other needs in order to keep evolving, but uh, you, you you can't have it where uh, for millions of years plants existed without birds and insects, and then you can't have it where uh, where insects came about for uh, to pollinate these plants for no reason. Uh, the only way it works is if if things were created really within days of one another, where God is creating and sustaining, and then uh, and and putting it together, and then you, you have plants in the beginning, and then you have Birds, just a couple of days later, and insects a day after that, and here's God just putting it together, giving it order. Well, we got a, a lot to say, and, um, and this series is going to be like, from here on out, it's going to be like a sausage link, you know, it's just, it just you can kind of cut it off wherever you want. Um, there's, there's no um, main idea that's going to control each of these days and stuff, so I'm just going to get through some of the material that I want to get through, and then when we run out of time, we're just going to cut it and then push it to, uh, to the next time but i want to uh i want to have us consider the idea of uh of age right the um god created the universe and from from our empirical observations of the universe it seems to have age with it you know it it seems as far as we can tell to be billions of years old and uh and either that's a misreading on our part or our methods are uh are not accurate or It could be that God created the universe with the appearance of age. And I think that this is entirely possible. Um, Trees were created in mature form. They had mature fruit. Animals were created in mature form. Even the first human beings, Adam and Eve, right? He created them as mature, fully developed organisms, right? Birds were already flying through the skies the moment they were created. Fish were already swarming through the seas. That was already happening. And it answers two two very old questions. The first being, which came first, the chicken or the egg? The answer to that would be the chicken. And the second question would be, uh, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? That histo- I know it's a ridiculous question. It's a fun question. It's a ridiculous question. But this actually was uh, a major point of contention during the medieval times when... Uh, Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel. He gave Adam a belly button, and that caused riots. Uh, Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? The answer, probably not, because the belly button is a navel. The navel is a scar tissue uh, from the umbilical cord. But God formed the man uh, out of of the ground. He had no umbilical cord. So probably no belly button. I don't know. That's not a hill to die on, so you can do what you want with that. Consider the, the implications of Adam, though. He was created a fully functioning adult, right? He was not an embryo. He was created in adult form. He was fully developed with muscles. He was able to reproduce it, right from the moment that he was created. On the day that he was created, he's able to walk around. He's able to to, uh, to speak. He has the knowledge to speak. He has a vocabulary. In fact, he has creative uh, vocal skills as well because he's able to name the animals and he has uh, even preliminary understanding of agriculture because he's able to tend to the garden that he was placed in, the Garden of Eden. Without any growth or any history or any experience, he was a mature adult man, even with knowledge. Now, pretend, uh, pretend a modern scientist from today you know, traveled back in time and he arrived in the Garden of Eden five minutes after Adam was created. Right? God puts At- Adam together out of the-, the dirt, breathes life into him, and then Adam becomes a living creature. And he gets up and he's walking around. Five minutes later, the time traveler arrives, the, the scientist arrives. right? Uh, and he-, he walks up to Adam and he starts to examine him. He sees, sees all the adult features. Uh, he'd talk with Adam. He'd find the adult man uh, has knowledge and language skills and stuff, and he would conclude, oh, Adam must be at least 20 or 30 years old, something like that. Who knows how old he would conclude he is. But Adam would have only been five minutes old. And he wouldn't have been, like, you know, uh, super pale, where, like, he has never seen the sun before. He, God would have created him with, uh, with certain features. Like, he'd probably have calluses on his feet, like we all have, from, uh, so that he could walk around without injuring himself. Uh, His teeth would probably be smoothed as if he's been eating for years rather than jagged like they just got formed out of nothing and, you know, and they're all like, they're all dangerous and stuff. Uh, There would be certain features to him that would make him look like he's been alive for a long time. Uh, When God created out of nothing, ex nihilo, out of nothing, the created thing had the appearance of age and yet it's not old. If the same time traveler, the same scientist, uh, did a botanical study of the, of the Garden of Eden, if he walked up to a newly created oak tree, he'd see its size and fruit and the rings in the trunk and stuff, and he'd conclude, oh, look at the rings in the trunk, right? You could chop it down, you could count the rings, and that's the annual rings and stuff, and you'd say, this is how many years old the tree is, and uh, why would there be growth rings in the trunk if those are created from, the, from age, from seasons and things? And yet, uh, that's the xylem and the phloem and that comprises the tree's vascular system and they're essential to the strength of a large tree. And when God created it, he probably would have created it with the appearance of age. Again, if the scientist counted the rings and concluded the tree was 90 years old, he'd be wrong. It would only have been a couple days old. right? The, the garden was created mature, fully functional with the appearance of age even though it was brand new. Even though the trees could... Uh, had fruit on them already mountains, rivers, other geological features would also appear to have been there for some time, so it 's not like the entire earth is just flat, there would be mountains and valleys and you know and it, people would look at that and say that must have been the the product of of earthquakes and tectonic movement and stuff that pushed the earth, etc uh, and it could have been except that God created it instantaneously and it had the appearance of age. It looked like it's been around for millions of years and stuff, but it hasn't. So I I think uh, when we think of like waterfalls and canyons and other features that geologists think took ages of wind and water and volcanoes and earthquakes and stuff to create, uh, it's important to know that even if our readings say that this must be this, you know, this many years old, the appearance of age came with the creation And so, you know, God made it all in one day, and I think that's all we need to do with that. He made it in one day. God has demonstrated that he can bypass the aging process. You can actually see that happen uh, in certain miracles in the New Testament. Jesus turns water to wine, right? And he didn't need to wait for fermentation or aging. He didn't even need it to be from grapes. He could just take water and turn it to wine. He doesn't have to wait he can he can immediately mature it, right? He created instant wine, John chapter two verse ten, and it turned out to be the best wine. Uh, it was matured, it was well seasoned, despite the fact that he worked instantaneously with a creation miracle. If he could do that with wine, it means he can do that, and I don't think he's limited by uh, the the scale or the amount of mass or energy that he needs to create. He's almighty. When Jesus multiplied the loaves of bread and fish, uh, interestingly, he created bread and fish that were already baked and cooked. Right, the fish was not raw; they weren't eating sushi. Right, they were they were eating a a pickled fish. It's a a a fermented type of fish. It was fermented. It was cooked and fermented. And the the bread was baked. Um, He instantly created that. He didn't have to wait. So the idea that God can create and it would have the appearance of age, if you were to take it moments after it was created and to, to inspect it, you, you, would, you would deduce from your empirical observations that this must be, uh, it must have been around for a long time. It must be this many years old or this many days old or something. And yet, it would only be moments old. Well, uh, that's to say that the earth is not as old as it seems. Uh, that, that is one at least one avenue of explanation on why the earth seems so old and yet is not. But, um, you know, if if you're not a believer, uh, then you don't believe in God. And and an unbeliever doesn't want to resort to the God answer because that feels cheap. And so there's naturalism. Naturalism is the assumption that everything is the result of natural processes only. No supernatural process. No God uh, involved just nature, right? And so the premise of naturalism is that everything that's happening right now is happening the way that it's always happened. The uh, The way that nature works now, the laws of nature right now have always been the laws of nature. That's just reality. So that, that position is called uniformitarianism, that everything is uniform. It's always been like this. Nothing has changed. All of the rules of nature have been the rules of nature, and the, the rules of nature have not changed. So it's the theory that natural and, and geological phenomena are mostly the results of forces that have operated continuously um, with uniformity without interruption over billions and billions of years. Right? The, the laws have all been the same. The, the, the forces have operated without, without change. Uniformitarians assume that the forces at work in nature are fixed, constant, Scientists who hold this view uh, explain basically all geological phenomena in terms of processes that are still occurring. Um, and so, an example of this would be uniformitarians would see rock strata—you know, the layers of rock—and by uh, by examining those, uh, they see they interpret the the layers as results from natural slow settling of particles in water over several million years, millions of years, right? So, uh, you have regular ground and then maybe there's rainfall or something and it brings in sediment and then the climate of the earth might have changed a little bit so different kinds of sediment different uh rate of rainfall and stuff and so you get a new layer and then millions of years have passed by and and the weather changes on the earth again and so different kind of settlement different direction of the wind different rocks coming in and so you get all these different layers and they say that's over millions and millions of years by doing that from the natural slow settling of particles that are brought about by wind and water they assumed, for instance, that the Grand Canyon came from the natural flow of the Colorado River that carved out that giant chasm over many ages. Now, uh, uniformitarianism was proposed by James Hutton and then really by, by the next guy, Charles Lyell, who insisted everything has to be explained by natural processes. Everything has to be explained by that. Supernatural causes were deemed inherently unscientific, and so, therefore, they must be false. Their work essentially canonized atheism and atheistic naturalism as the basis for scientific research, quote-unquote scientific research. It was enormously influential on other scientists. Darwin even took a copy of Lyell's work when he sailed on the Beagle in uh, 1831. Um, the theory of evolution is really the, like, the consequent immediate result of the uniformitarian hypothesis of naturalism. If you assume there is no God, no supernatural creator, then everything could only come from natural processes. And these natural processes have always been the same. They've never changed. There's an opposite to uniformitarianism, and that position is called catastrophism. Catastrophism. Catastrophism views dramatic Geological changes coming from sudden, violent, or unusual events. Huge moments, cataclysmic moments in, in, in history, events that take place that, uh, that radically change the, uh, the surface of the earth. Catastrophists think sedimentary rock formations or large canyons are the result of massive flooding. Sudden, violent, massive flooding. A sudden flood, after all, can produce a thick layer of sediment in just a few hours. Uh, a large stratum of sedimentary rock appears to take millions of years to a uniformitarianist, but can come from a flash flood in, uh, in just a single event, uh, which means that it, it does not take billions of years to form Earth's geological features. So catastrophism poses a major challenge to the evolutionary timetable, which eliminates billions of years, and so evolutionists don't like it. The fossil record is impossible to explain by any uniformitarian scheme. As much as uh, the the unbelieving world goes to uniformitarianism and says the laws of nature have always been the laws of nature and they've never changed, uh, by doing that, they really uh, have trouble explaining the fossil record because for a living creature to become a fossil, rather than to just die and decompose, uh, for it to become a fossil, it has to be It has to die and immediately be buried under a great weight of sediment in kind of like this airtight, uh, you know, uh, burial of of heavy rock, immense pressure, um, and usually covered by water. Now we have, uh, on the earth, we have massive fossil beds that testify to a worldwide flood that buried every living thing, which is Really hard to explain because uh, just the, the, circum- the very specific circumstances you need in order to, uh, to create fossils are, are so particular that they don't happen often. And yet we have uh, massive fossil beds. Uh, the Karoo Formation, um, it's a fossil field in, in Africa, is thought to hold 800 billion vertebrate fossils. Natural sedimentation over ages doesn't come close to explain how so many fossils came to be concentrated in a single place. Every inhabited continent contains large fossil beds where millions of fossilized species are together in large concentrations. And all these creatures were destroyed and buried together by massive flooding. What explains that? A world flood. Fossils of sea creatures are found even on many of the world's highest mountaintops. What does that mean? That means that the highest mountaintops were, at one point, underwater. And not just underneath the surface of the water, under immense pressure underwater. Uniformitarians don't really have an explanation for that kind of phenomenon. Uh, the, only, the only way they, they can explain it is they, they just constantly increase their estimate of the age of the earth. Right, that's, that's what they do. They just keep saying, well, the earth is a lot older, and so something must have happened to create fossils. And even older, and so more fossils over here. And that's not the answer. Scripture anticipates that people would believe nature has always been nature without changing. Scripture anticipates it. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 4, it says, they will say, and it's talking about scoffers, um, they'll say, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. All things were continu- are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. There is no God event that's, that's uh, moving things around and making alterations to, uh, to the universe. Verse 5. For they, the scoffers, deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Right, The uh, the thing that the scoffers are overlooking is that there was a world flood. The world that existed long ago was deluged or flooded with water, and it perished. And that old world is gone. And the way that that old world was, the, the physics of that old world were, I don't know if the, the laws of physics are different, but the, the ecology of the world is different now. That's exactly what's, what Peter's saying. The world's history has not been uniform, natural, and geological processes from the beginning at all, right? The beginning was very different. There was no death, no decay, no small plants, no shrubs, no rain, no thorns, no thistles, etc. And the curse on the earth transformed it, and then the, the flood on the, on the world transformed it, and catastrophes came in and altered the way that the world is. The creation and the flood in, in Noah's time uh, explain virtually all the geological and hydrological features of the earth. Large-scale catastrophic forces are the only plausible explanation for some of the geological features in our world. Right? The, um, here in California, the Vasquez Rocks in uh, Los Angeles County, these are massive shards of jagged rock strata Uh, They're broken sharply and thrusting out of the ground, and those were not created by slow, gradual forces. They came from sudden and violent catastrophe. Uh, San Andreas Fault has violently twisted rock strata that's been uh, investigated. It would take more than the power of any known earthquake to make that. What caused all these earthquakes and sudden massive shifts of the entire world and stuff? Where did all this come from? Well, the Bible says the flood did stuff like this. Uh, Genesis chapter seven, verse eleven. It says uh, at the end of that verse on Genesis seven eleven, it says, "On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened." What that means when it's talking about the flood that that's uh, happening right then and there. That means that the flood was accompanied by volcanic activity, massive geological movements, and shifting tectonic plates. It explains the jagged rock strata and also why the Earth's mountain ranges give evidence of having been once under the sea. Uniformitarians can't agree on any feasible explanation for features like these, but uh, it it tells you about that. The the flood also explains the formation of the Grand Canyon. Uh, It's actually a better explanation of how the canyon came to be more than the natural erosion by the Colorado River. A world flood would explain that and fit a lot better with, with far, far fewer concerns. The extremely deep gorges with level plateaus at the rims suggested it was formed by rapid erosion, not gradual. It was something quick. It was something violent. It was something powerful. Not gradual, smooth, over time, millions of years. Providence Canyon. In, uh, in Georgia. It's a canyon that covers more than 1,100 acres. In the early 1800s, the entire area was, was uh, flat farmland. Now, imagine just flat farmland, and then by the mid-1800s, so like, you know, uh, less than 50 years later, farmers had completely cleared the area of trees and the root systems, leaving the area susceptible to erosion. Okay, There were no trees, no uh, nothing else. It was, it was just it was nice and smooth, and so it, when the rain came, erosion would, was going to be very strong. In 1846, heavy rainfall began forming small gullies and crevices. Uh, these expanded with every successful, successive rainfall. And by the 1940s, nearby buildings and towns had to be moved to accommodate the growing canyon. And today, the canyon comprises 16, uh, uh, 16 little fingers in its shape, um, some more than one mile in length. At places... Um, the distance from the canyon floor to the rim uh is as high as a 15 story building today it's a, a scenic area it's it's lush with trees and wildlife it's often called uh, georgia's little grand canyon now we got to we as human beings in the united states of america got to witness from before it existed to after it existed it did not take millions of years it it took about 100 years to fully form. Its features are indistinguishable from canyons that geologists claim took billions of years to form. If you compare Providence Canyon to other canyons that they say took billions of years, the features are identical. And if if you didn't tell the scientists that Providence Canyon was formed in 100 years, they would conclude by their methodology that it took billions. Mount St. Helens in Washington in May of 1980 uh, on On a day in May in one thousand nine hundred and eighty, that volcano erupted with massive energy equal to twenty million tons of tNT. It destroyed four hundred square kilometers of forest in six minutes, changing the face of the mountain and making a mini grand canyon. If you walked in to all those gref- crevices and canyons and things that were that were created and if you were to use the dating methodology used by uniformitarians your deduction at the end of it would be billions of years this took uh, sorry millions of years you would say this took millions of years to uh, to come about and yet it happened in six minutes christians uh christians start giving it you know they walk into their science classes they learn that everything's billions of years old millions of years old uh, and so they keep giving ground to to the the world's uh theory on origins they keep giving ground to uh to the guesses that unbelievers are making to the world and yet you have uh unmistakable evidence in the bible that there are catastrophes that changed the face of the world that did a number on the on the entire globe and we know from uh from historical moments like mount st helens or providence canyon we know that in just moments, you can create something that someone else would come up and say took millions of years. Saying it took that long to form the earth through evolution denies the very essence of what God said about how he created, about, about how the beginning was. It is to reject the clear account of God himself and that he created the earth and all its life in six days, as he said, six days. Well, uh, I want to I change gears a little bit, and I, I want to talk about, uh, ab- about the, the actual days of creation, okay? Uh, on day one, God created light, and uh, we got a conundrum here because, you know, stars are millions of light years away, right? And that's, that's, that means that a light year is uh, a, a unit of distance, not time. Uh, a light year is how far light travels in 365 of our days. You know, if, you, if you wait a year, how long does a light particle, a photon, travel from its source? And, uh, and that's a light year. So if a star is millions of light years away, that means that for light to come to our Earth, it takes millions of years. If it's, if it's two light years away, it takes two years for light to come to our Earth. Right? So we know that certain stars are millions of light years away, uh, and that creates a, a problem for, for creationists because that says the universe is at least millions of years old. If we're getting light, starlight... Then, uh, then that starlight took millions of years to get here, so the, the earth must be millions of years old. So that's something I want to talk about, and I want to get into that, especially when I get into the issue of the sun and the moon and the stars and stuff like that, which were uh, created on day four. Today, I want to move into day two, where, uh, where God creates this firmament with the sky And uh, and in the firmament, which is he just calls he lets us call it sky. We also see sun and moon and stars because from our perspective, that's exactly where they are in the sky. But there's you know there's the firmament of our atmosphere, kind of sky, and then there's the firm there's there's something outside there like outer space. And uh, the word heavens is plural in uh, in the Hebrew and Greek. Um, They they use that in in the plural to indicate that there are uh, different zones of the skies. Heavens and skies are the same word. Anyway, uh, when we, when we uh, talk about this, this water um, being separated and this firmament and stuff, it's going to relate to us because remember last week we talked about the genealogies? Right? We, we added up the genealogies of Adam and all his descendants and Noah and all his descendants and all that stuff. But if you remember from those genealogies, some people lived hundreds of years. Adam himself lived 930 years. How can that be? Why should we trust the genealogies if the genealogies themselves feel impossible to believe? And I think it comes down to our understanding of that firmament and the way that, that God separated the water above the sky from the water below it. So I'll read to you Genesis chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. It says, and God said, let there be an expanse or a firmament, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. Now, that word expanse or firmament is the same word. Uh, that is the word rakia. I kind of got into it when I was uh, preaching through Genesis. It's derived from a verb that means to spread and overlay. Okay? A, a verb form of the same word is used uh, in. Exodus 39, verse 3, to speak of like hammering gold into thin sheets. It's to spread an overlay, right? Uh, The imagery of Genesis 1, verse 6, is this vast expanse, a protective layer that overlays the earth. uh, And there's water below it, the sea. And then there's water above it. And uh, what is that water above it? That's that's kind of what I want to get at. What is this water above the, the expanse or above the firmament? Um, it could refer to atmospheric water. Some people say it might refer to clouds. You know, the water above the sky is the clouds. Um, or it could be this this water canopy, like the, that there's actually just water above the sky. And the reason why I think that that is uh, a, a more likely understanding is because the people that... Uh, the people back in the day when Moses was writing this, they believed the clouds were in the sky, not above the sky. They knew the clouds were in the sky so there 's this uh, there 's this expanse or this firmament um, which is like earth 's breathable atmosphere and stuff, but um, there 's this water above it, and uh, we we got to talk about this. Some creationists like uh, this guy named Henry Morris, believe that this was a protective canopy that remained in place all the way until the time of the flood in Noah's day, right? So there's this protective water canopy over the earth that the earth was enveloped in a bubble of of water. The canopy was a layer of water molecules at the outer edge of the atmosphere that kept the earth in kind of a a hothouse environment. It would would be a a greenhouse in a way. Uh, This might explain why prior to the flood, it was common for humans to live more than 900 years. Uh, according to the hypothesis, the, the water canopy uh, shielded people from the sun's more harmful rays. Right, Ultraviolet rays are what, what kind of come in and denature our lysosomes and stuff like that. Even though our cells are replicating and creating copies of themselves, over time, uh, they take in so much radiation that they start to break down. And even they're replicating. They start to break down. And that's, that's what causes the aging process. What if you take that radiation away? Well, then then we have uh, our cells that are replicating without, without breaking down. So if, if you have far, uh, far less radiation because it's diffused by this water canopy, that means that people aren't aging as quickly. And so they could live for a much longer time, 900 years even, um, it would uh, th- this this water canopy, if it did exist, it also would regulate the climate at at uh, at a perfect temperature, very very warm temperature. Uh, it would be a, a tropical paradise, which is exactly what the Garden of Eden is is described to be, and it, uh, it it explains why all over the globe there's evidence that all of the Earth was once a tropical paradise, even Antarctica. When they dig far enough, they find that it used to be tropical. Um. But, at the flood, according to this theory, the canopy fell and contributed to the deluge the, the flooding that uh, drowned the earth. Now, other creationists will disagree with this okay so not everyone 's on the same page as this, and i want i want to talk about that a little bit i want to you know i 'm not going to say that just because that sounds like a fun theory, we should hold on to it um, some Some creationists disagree and believe that the canopy theory poses more problems than it solves because they say that that canopy would have to be extremely fine-tuned or else the whole world would become a pressure cooker and it would cook everyone in it. So I don't know the science on that. I'm not going to pretend I do. But uh, that's that's one of the, the opposing uh, comments, that it would create a tropical uh, paradise, but if something were just a little bit off, then everything would start to roast. I think yeah maybe but you know when if if god is sustaining this this canopy i don't know uh, it seems like it would not fall apart it's a question for scientists not for uh, for theologians to argue over because scripture doesn't explicitly teach about this canopy other than really genesis chapter 1 verse 6 that's kind of all there is right um we just know that there was some kind of water that existed above the sky uh floating over the earth's surface and then we never hear about that Ever again. Um, personally, I can't help but acknowledge that the world was radically different before the flood, and so uh, if there were no plant, no little plants, no no shrubs, no rain, no rainbow, um, no thorns or thistles before Genesis three, and there were extremely lo- long lifespans, what accounts for all of these changes that took place after the flood? I'm not an expert, but I can't and I can't see with certainty. But the canopy theory. To me, seems interesting. It seems to fit. Genesis chapter seven, verses eleven and twelve, uh, said that not only did the fountains of the great deep burst f- forth, but also the windows of the heavens were opened. Right, so something let down the water above the sky. Something huge happened from below. All that, all that uh, volcanic activity and stuff. The great, great deep br- bursting forth. But something huge happened from above, and it wiped out the whole world. And it would make sense of how the world would be flooded, uh, you know, at all, since uh, if all the clouds in in the uh, whole world right now, all the clouds turned into rain and fell to the earth, that would not be enough to cover the earth. So how would we cover the earth in a worldwide flood? There would have to be some kind of a water canopy that, that also came crashing down, plus the you know the uh volcanic activity underneath that would also heat the water to expand its volume and stuff and so there there are a lot of uh of moving parts that have to happen here it can't just be clouds and so in my in my best guess the water canopy seems like it is talked about in genesis 1 and then never referred to again after the flood and so it seems like that's what was going on it would um it would also kind of resolve this uh, this really w- weird thing, um, because if there's a water canopy above the Earth, uh, w- we have this w- we have this little puzzle to deal with. What kind of water is it? Is it water vapor that turns into liquid, or is it ice crystals that turn into liquid? Um, there's a difference there because if the canopy were water vapor. Uh, and it turned into liquid, then that would be an exothermic reaction okay Th- that would have an exothermic effect, excuse me on the atmosphere by the vapor turning into liquid it would have to it would have to uh, get colder, but then the atmosphere then would have to heat up that 's kind of what 's going on here okay um, and so if that happened, the water vapor turning into liquid would increase the temperature of the earth and it would cook us that that for sure would would be an issue that it would slow roast everybody not actually not even slow it would be a quick roast okay but if it were ice crystals around the earth uh, that turned into liquid they would have to heat up to turn the liquid and that means that the atmosphere around would have to cool down so that would have to be an endothermic effect on the atmosphere and everything would turn very very cold now the reason why that's interesting to me is because there's, there's something that we know happened in history that no one has an explanation for if you're, if you're coming from naturalism or, or uh, evolution. Uh, and it's called the Ice Age. What brought on the Ice Age? The Ice Age uh, is a, a conundrum because an Ice Age implies extreme snowfall, which in turn requires cold temperatures and heavy precipitation, right? But... Heavy precipitation can only occur if oceans are warm enough to produce uh, an equal amount of evaporation, right? You, as much as evaporates from the oceans is what precipitates into snowfall somewhere else, right? So how do you get all of the uh, the oceans to be that warm? You know, how could the, the warm oceans exist with the cold atmospheric uh, temperatures? And another big problem is, you know, not only how did that happen, how in, how in the world did that even start, but um, how do you, how do you stop an ice age? Because if you, if you have an ice age and everything's starting to freeze on the earth, then you have the increased size of glaciers that's taking place. Glaciers reflect the sun's radiation and heat away from the earth, thereby further reducing and and accelerating the, the, uh, the cooling effect on the earth because it's getting rid of heat even faster. Then you increase the size of the glacier, so you have a bigger heat mirror, and so we re- reduce the heat of the earth even more. And you keep doing that. So what stops an ice age? That would be an, a, an incredible problem for us to resolve. That once you start an ice age, it'd be very difficult to end such an ice age. So uh, as glaciers expand, they, you know, they, they keep throwing... Uh, more heat away and uh conversely by the way when glaciers shrink then we're reflecting a lot less sun and radiation and heat away from the earth and so temperatures start to rise that's what we're experiencing right now that's what we're talking about climate change global warming that kind of stuff our glaciers are are shrinking and so the the uh, rate at which the earth is heating up is is accelerating very very quickly In any case, uh, the Ice Age, uh, what would have started it? Well, if God had decided that he's going to flood the earth and he opens the windows of the heavens, and these are ice crystals, because the the rakiach, um, it, it implies something solid taking place up in the sky. If these ice crystals then became liquid and came down, we would have this endothermic effect on the atmosphere which would cool everything down. A bunch of creatures that could only survive in warm environments would die off. And then, and then the temperature would have to regulate itself. That would also explain, by the way, why there were no rainbows prior to the flood. Because a water canopy would, uh, would diffuse the light. There wouldn't be rainbows. And so when uh, when you bring down the, the water canopy, now you've got the sun kind of coming in with the clouds, and now you can have rainbows, which God used as a, a covenant sign for Noah. Well, that's kind I, I guess I'm running out of time, so we're going to have to cut it there, and we'll, we'll start talking about um, the other implications of of the six-day creation next time, but I do want to end with just kind of this one thought from, uh, from a, an evolutionary philosopher back in the day. This is a guy named Herbert Spencer. He was a Uh, enthusiastic supporter of Darwin, and he outlined five ultimate scientific ideas. That's what he called them, five ultimate scientific ideas, right? And his, his five ultimate scientific ideas were time, force, action, space, and matter. In that order, time, force, action, space, and matter. Spencer said that these five ideas comprise everything that is susceptible to scientific examination. Nothing else can be proven to exist if it is not one of those five things. And this, of course, exposes his worldview since it leaves no room for anything spiritual. It ignores things like intellect and emotions, thought. Those things exist, but can't be you know, quantified, categorized into those. Ignore the fact that this claim assumes the eternality of time, force, action, space, and matter. In any case, Spencer was lauded. He was, he was praised for his empirical categorization of reality. Time, force, action, space, and matter. And people thought that, that uh, he really got it down. He, he has finally structured reality the way that we need to, to know its structure. And what's interesting to me is just how Genesis accounts for all of these. In a single sentence. In the beginning... That's time. God, that's force. Created, that's action. The heavens, that's space. And the earth, that's matter. The world praised Herbert Spencer for discovering in the 19th century what God wrote down around 1,500 years before Jesus ever lived. That's over 3,000 years difference. Moses beat him to it. Genesis is the only cosmogony that accounts for an origin to space and time and matter rather than assuming their eternality. And, uh, and while God created the earth in six days, we might sit here wondering why does it look so old then? It could be with the appearance of age. And it could be uh, with the concession and the admission, the understanding that the, the earth was far different back in the day before the flood. And we know a flood happened. We know when Ice Age happened. We, we know that stuff. Everyone's agreed on, on things like that. The explanations on where that comes from, you can either sit there and say it just was the result of billions of years of events taking place, so eventually it looks like that. Or you can say that it happened the way that God said it. Well, let's leave it at that. We'll, we'll pick it up next week. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot of information, there's more to be said, and uh, we just hope that our minds are staying sharp and that uh, we can worship you with how we try to hone our knowledge and, uh, and stand in awe of, of who you are. We hope this breeds a greater trust in your word to know that you didn't get it wrong and you didn't trick us, you didn't try to uh, pull a fast one on us, but you told us exactly what we needed to know, that you created the world in six days by your word. And it's by your word that you're going to bring the world to an end. It's by your word that you're going to bring about a new world. We look forward to all of that. We know that you have the power to instantly create, instantly destroy, to instantly do whatever it is that your sovereign will chooses to do. And so we we trust in you as creator and as master, uh, as Lord and Savior. Thanks for, uh, for teaching us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.